really exciting stuff to talk about. Uh, we have uh, a great guest today, Mr. Larry Elder. Uh, he's the great, the great uh, sage from South Central and also a presidential candidate for 2024. I'm very excited about it. As you know, I have been very, very excited about Larry's candidacy ever since he announced it. He told me uh, privately that uh, at some point he's going to be running for president. And I thought, wow, I really hope he follows through. And sure enough, as he always does, he follows through. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the success of our book, uh, Keeping the Kids All Right, how to uh, make sure that parents keep their kids away from the woke culture and how to ensure that your kids always remain conservative and keep your values. Uh, it seems like a daunting task and very hard to do, but in fact, it's very easy. I, I go through the book through my four steps. Uh, and the key thing is just to always talk uh, to your kids, keep busy uh, and make sure to always talk about the glory of America, the glory of God, uh, the reality of biology, uh, and so many other things that are so in the news these days. And you just got to fight for your kids. And it's it's actually quite easy, as I say in my book. Uh, you simply have to talk it out and have fun with the process. Look, just you got to laugh at it. You got to be ahead of it. That's the key thing. And if you do that, well, you're you're not going to have to worry about your kids ever going woke or, God forbid, uh, refusing to speak to you for the rest of uh, your lives. So that's the last thing you want to do, right? So it, the book just came out on Audible. So I'm very excited about that. And it seems to be really gaining a lot of traction. Uh, and I'll be on the Dennis Prager show about this. I'll be on Newsmax about this. So. A lot of fun things are happening. Okay, so uh, I want to introduce now the great Larry Elder uh, running for president for the 2024 uh, presidential election. As you know, I have been such a big fan of Larry. Uh, he is so clear-headed in his mission. He's uh, got so many great conservative chops. Uh, the background to his story is amazing. Uh, I just, I love how he grew up. Uh, he went to law school. A lot of people don't know that. And he did quite well in law school as well. He was a lawyer for quite a while. Uh, and then rose up the ranks and became the Larry Elder that we know and love today. Um, let's let's bring in Larry Elder. Larry, you're on the, uh, the Brock Larry podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Brock, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Well, let's get into it. Uh, what what made you want to get into this this crazy election? I mean, it's uh, it's so many people in the field, but I, I look, I think you stand out for so many reasons. But what what made you want to get into this field? Well, I think I was about the the fourth or fifth uh, person to to declare, so the field wasn't nearly as large uh, then as it is right now. I got into it because, as you know, I ran for governor of California. Uh, I got into the race with just eight weeks left. In eight weeks, I raised $27 million, more than the other 45 replacement candidates combined. Uh, we got 150,000 individual donations. Half of them came from outside of California. I got 3.5 million votes, which was 49% of all the replacement votes cast. The next highest person got 9%, and that wasn't even a Republican. That was a, a, a Democrat. The uh, state party and the national party wanted a guy named Kevin Faulkner uh, to be the guy. He's a two-term mayor of San Diego. Uh, even after it was obvious when I got in, Barack, I became the front runner right away. I didn't expect that. And as the campaign went on, excuse me, <clears throat> as the campaign went on, my lead only increased. So I would have thought that at some point uh, the party, Kevin McCarthy, would have said, okay, to the House uh, Republican delegation, get behind Elder, if not with money, at least verbally. Uh, they did neither. I got neither verbal support nor financial support from the state or from the feds. 
Again, they wanted the two-term mayor of San Diego. I carried San Diego County by 30 points. And when the, when the race was over, Brock, I went to uh, Key West with my girlfriend to chill out. And so many people came up to me and said, you know, we, we, we contributed to you. We were hoping you were, were going to win. Why don't you run for president? First person I thought that, I thought they needed to uh, perhaps uh, check into some mental institution. But so many people kept saying it. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, it, frankly, it would be easier to be elected president of the United States than to be elected statewide in California. I think if Mother Teresa, John the Baptist, and Moses ran as Republicans, they would lose in California. Uh, and I also felt that I had some issues that the others were not talking about. I'm a big 45 fan. I'm a big uh, Trump fan. I campaigned for him in 2016. I campaigned. I supported him in 2020. And I will do so again if asked to do so. Uh, but neither he nor the others are talking about what I consider to be the number one domestic problem in America. And your book touches on it. And that's what I call the epidemic of fatherlessness. 70% of black kids now enter the world without a father in the home married to the mother. And that is up from 25% back in 1965. In fact, 25% of white kids now enter the world without a father in the home married to the mother. 50% of Hispanic kids do. 40% of all kids do. I think the only ethnic group or racial group uh, that is uh, higher than blacks in terms of the percentage of kids entering the world without a father married to the mother are Native Americans on, uh, on reservations. It's about 85%. And the numbers are clear. When you are raised without a dad, you're five times more likely to be poor and commit crime nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. Now, what's happened? In the mid-60s, a Democrat named Lyndon Johnson, I believe, I'd like to think, with the best of intentions, Barack, launched a so-called war on poverty. And since then, we have incentivized women to marry the government and incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And nobody but nobody's talking about it. Right. The, le the left doesn't talk about it because they created it. Our side doesn't talk about it because if you're white and you say it, you're going to be accused of being a racist. If you're black, you're going to be called the black face of white supremacy, as I was called by the LA Times. Or you're going to be called an Uncle Tom. So nobody is talking about the top domestic problem in America. Yes. You're so right about this. And one of the things that I think is a, a real challenge is the fact that you can't <clears throat> see the immediate causation uh, you know, for how, how the crime statistics have increased, how the poverty has increased and such as a result of the fatherlessness that you're talking about. You know, it's not as if you can see, you know, somebody shoots somebody, uh, God forbid, and, and it goes, the bullet goes in the head and then he drops and then you can say, okay, well, I think that gun and that bullet, you know, <laughs> led to the death of that man. Okay, but that's not the case here. They, they, there's a slow burn effects that last many years. Uh, right. But then it's very hard to trace back as to what the causation is, and they try to attribute it to racism or other things like that. So that's the real challenge. I, I was just on a show called The Charlemagne the God Show. That's the uh, host to whom Joe Biden said, you ain't really black. You don't know whether you want to vote for me or vote for Trump. So I said what I said to you about fatherlessness. And they didn't want to hear it. Their whole, their whole thing is poverty and, and systemic racism is what causes the problems in the black community. I said, all right. Uh, consider this. A young black man aged 10 to 43 is 13 times more likely to be murdered than a young white man, same demo. Right. Half of all the homicide victims in America are, are black, almost all killed by other black people. 60% of the homicides, the robberies, and shootings in America are committed by black people, often against other black people. Unless you are prepared to say black people are just genetically inclined to commit more crime, just out of the gate, uh, they are programmed, wired to commit more crime. And I'm assuming you're not prepared to say that. If yeah. it isn't fatherlessness, you tell me what it is. And they had no answer. Obviously, obviously that, that's, that's what it is. That's what's going on here. As I said, nobody's talking about it. These kids, Barack, need mentors. They need male father figures. 
Uh, I was just in a city called Johnston in Iowa. It's a mostly white city. I'm talking to the police chief. And I asked him whether he had a gang problem. He said, yeah, we do. It's not like Chicago, but we have a problem. I said, what's the common theme? He said, these kids have no male role model. It can be a father, it can be a grandfather, it can be a pastor, it can be a, a football coach, somebody. They've got no male role model at all. Uh, and so it's not just a black problem, it's a national problem. Uh, and I'm urging all of the baby boomer generation, my generation, and these are, are men who have now retired or they're about ready to retire. Many of them are still vigorous. They've raised their children. They've nurtured their grandchildren. They have life wisdom. I'm urging all of them to step up and volunteer to become a mentor. And if you don't want to do that or can't do that, you can certainly contribute resources. Uh, we have churches in our communities that are doing this kind of work. My church is the Chapel Hill Church of, of Chino Hills. My pastor, Jack Hibbs. They literally have a program where they go door to door in places like Harlem and offer mentorships. And so if you can't uh, uh, do it with, with labor, with hands on, you can also do it with resources. Also, at the at the federal level and at the capital level in various states, they have all sorts of programs designed uh, to, to encourage people for self-sufficiency. And many of them do not work. We should be able as taxpayers to direct our tax dollars towards organizations, churches, nonprofits in our own neighborhoods that are doing this kind of work where the results are far more likely to be effective. Oh, so it's that's much more so. Yeah. And one of the things to add to your point, uh, Larry, is that you know in the prisons, the the number one commonality uh, is not that they're black or white or anything else. It's that they are fatherless. Right. Uh, these most of these men, uh, you know, above ninety percent, uh, especially the men, but women too, uh, have grown up without a father, and that is your issue. And I, I think it's so spot on. And I I'm so grateful to you for bringing this up because. I know the role of the father, uh, and you know the roles of fathers, and and how instrumental they are. Uh, we we say that fathers uh, give the big picture to the children. Uh, mothers, you know, that they're all about nurturing and and thinking about the immediate, but fathers always about the big picture, about what values are, what honesty, integrity is. We're always thinking about that, and that is our that's instinctive to us. And if you don't provide that to a child. Uh, they will grow up, grow up without those values, and they'll 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 be rudderless, and that's what we're seeing in prisons and otherwise. You know, Barack, to your point, there's a book called His Father's Face by a guy named James Robeson. He's a, a Christian writer, and he talks in his book about a uh, prison um, chaplain who wanted to improve morale. So he went to a greeting card company and got 500 free greeting cards to give to the men for Mother's Day. The men filled them out, sent them in, and yes, uh, morale in the prison improved. So Father Day came around. You know where I'm going to go with this story. He went to the same uh, greeting card company, got 500 greeting cards, took them to the prison. Not a single inmate, not one, wanted to fill it out and send it to his dad. Not one. Wow. That That is, it breaks your heart. It just yeah. breaks your heart. And it's it's so true. It's, you know, boys especially will listen more to their fathers than they will to their mothers. And mothers are, are of course, very critical, but it's just the direction that fathers give uh, is so instrumental, uh, and it's uh, it tears my heart that they think that it's not necessary, and worse yet, they think that uh, uh, that that's okay for for kids to be raised without fathers. They're actually encouraging that uh, with the um, the gay marriage thing for one hand, and then single parenthood on the other, and we're seeing that so often. And I, I just don't know how we turn this around. Well, how, how do we turn it around, actually, Larry? I mean, what what is the best way to effectuate a change on that? Sure. Other than you know, obviously talking to the churches, I, I agree with that, but anything so, beyond that? 
the first thing is to acknowledge we have the problem. Yeah. Uh, I've not heard Biden say it. You've not heard Barack, Barack Obama say it. I think he touched on it one time yeah. uh, at, a, at, a, at a Father's Day speech he gave. But then Jesse Jackson told him he was talking down to black people, and he stopped talking about it. I remember in the mid-'90s, it was a million-man march. And while I did not support the messenger, I supported the message. And he was all about men having to step up uh, and take responsibility for the children they bring into the world. Uh, and uh, that message needs to be told over and over and over again, and it's not. It's just sporadically touched on from time to time. You and I are in California, and we've seen these smash and grabs where 30, 40 young people with masks go into stores and loot them. Mm-hmm. And while they're wearing masks, we don't, we're not sure who the, who the race are. Those who do get busted, they typically are young black, black men. Now, Barack, if I were to participate in something like that, I would be more afraid of what my father would say and do to me than what I would uh, than, than, than I would be of the cops catching me. These right. kids, are, these kids are afraid of neither. They don't have fathers in the home. The police are uh, demoralized. They're accused of being systemically racist. It's called the Ferguson effect or the George Floyd effect. So all over the country, uh, police manpower is down because officers are quitting or they're retiring early, or they can't recruit people because after all, who wants to work for a department that's perceived to be systemically racist? And they're pulling back. It's called the Ferguson effect or the George Floyd effect. And that's a phenomenon of cops not engaging in proactive policing all over America. So in the last few years, there are literally thousands of what I call excess casualties, including excess deaths that otherwise would not have occurred if the police had been doing their normal proactive policing. Right. That's another thing that that uh, none of the uh, candidates is really talking about. This lie that America is systemically racist is not just driving nonsense like reparations, which, as you heard me say, is the extraction of money from people who were never slave owners to be given to people who were never slaves. It's driving things like race-based preferences, diversity, equity, inclusion. It's getting people killed. And that's the phenomenon of cost pulling back. I mean, think about the George Floyd protest or the Black Lives Matter protest. They were in the summer of 2020. Uh, 35 people killed, 2,000 police officers wounded, about $2 billion in property damage, maybe another billion or two in unsecured, uninsured property damage. Uh, a protest in, 20, in 200 cities, millions of people participated. Largest protest in the history of America, deadliest protest in the history of America. Why? Because of a false assumption that what happened to George Floyd happened because he was black. The lead prosecutor was a black man, and in his opening statement, he took pains to say the police in general were not on trial. In fact, he said most officers are doing a great job. He said the Minneapolis PD in general is not on trial. He said he knew a lot of the officers uh, and executives, and they were doing a great job. He said this individual uh, named Derek Chauvin is is on trial for what he did and didn't do uh, to, uh, to George Floyd, and he wasn't even charged with a hate crime. So the assumption that people rioted over and protested over is completely bogus. There's a magazine called Police Magazine website, and they talked about a poll where where self-described very liberal people were asked, how many unarmed black men did the police kill in 2019? 50% of the self-described very liberal people thought the police killed 1,000 unarmed black men in 2019, and 8% thought they killed 10,000. As far as the self-described liberal people, 39% 39% of them thought the police killed 1,000 unarmed black men in 2019, and 5% thought they killed 10,000. The answer, Barack, according to the Washington Post database, was 12. That's the gap between what people think is going on versus what is going on, uh, and that's because when a black person is killed by the cops, in comes CNN, in comes MSNB Hee-Haw, in comes Van Jones. They make a huge, huge deal about this, but if a, a cop kills an unarmed white person, frankly, as happens more often, 
uh, than the cops killing an unarmed black person. Nobody cares. It's it's what is driving this narrative, giving young people the false impression that systemic racism remains a major factor in America when it is a minor factor. Right. Well, that that leads me to my well. That that's the old adage, right? That the, a lie travels halfway across the world while the truth is still getting its pants on. And that leads us to the next point: uh, the affirmative action decision that happened in, I believe, late June of this year. Uh, what do you think the impacts will be about that? I mean, a lot of people are upset about it. Uh, what do you think the impact of it was a good decision, uh, healthy decision, what? Well, we have a test case as to what the impact is, and the impact is going to be beneficial. We have Proposition 209 here in California in the mid-90s, where we got rid of race-based preferences uh, in college, college admissions. Uh, and uh, as the uh, 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 naysayers were saying, it is true that there were fewer black and brown kids admitted into the more competitive campuses, UCLA and UC Berkeley. But they were admitted uh, in the same numbers overall at the UC system. They got into schools like UC Irvine or UC Riverside, where, frankly, they were more likely to graduate on time. When you lower the standards uh, so that you achieve the sort of racial diversity, you increase the likelihood of the kid who is a so-called beneficiary dropping out because he can't keep up with the pace. So getting rid of affirmative action, race-based preferences, means uh, the, the kid is more likely to be better matched, better suited with the campus where he can do the work and therefore less likely to drop out. And when you drop out early, you're angry. You wonder why the school admitted you if, if they were not, gonna, not going to uh, uh, ensure you could do the work. You end up having student debt. Often kids drop out and they don't enroll in, in a less competitive campus. They just don't, don't enroll at all. And as a result, uh, earning loss over that person's uh, life uh, is much more severe than, than would have been the case if the person had gone to a school that matched his or her ability. So, so race-based preferences really hurt the very people that they're intended to benefit. Yeah, but otherwise, other than that, it's a great idea, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> and, of course, and of course, it pits people against each other. It completely refutes the whole notion of a colorblind society. MLK wanted people to be evaluated based on content of character, not on color of skin. And race-based preferences puts that whole proposition on its head. Right. Look, I, I think you're resonating with people on this issue because it's the, the, the it's so un-American to not have this sense of fairness, uh, to not allow people to uh, be admitted based upon merit and to allow them to grow, to to achieve. When you're telling right. people that don't worry about it, you can be admitted on much lower standards, uh, then you, people rise to the lower expectations, as it were. They descend to the lower right. expectations. And that and that's always been a problem. So I, I just think it's always been so unhealthy. Sixty years of this. I mean, I, I believe affirmative action. And you can correct me if I'm, I'm I'm wrong, Larry. I believe it originally was intended to be a four-year program. And and think about what it does to uh, other groups uh, like Asian Americans. We found out that after 209 got passed. The percentage of Asian Americans that got into UC Berkeley and UCLA went up pretty dramatically, which meant that they were that they were being held back uh, in favor of lesser qualified Black and Hispanic students. How in the world does that promote promote harmony? It, it doesn't. And you're right about the, uh, the the low level of expectations. It's the soft bigotry of low expectations. I remember when uh, uh, the world caught up in Olympic basketball and we sent in the dream team. And Barack, the dream team, just dominated the world, beating them by 50, 60 points. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. Now we send our, our, our best. Uh, we still win. We don't dominate like that because the world uh, got better. Uh, and it wasn't because of the hoop was lowered or widened or they changed the rules. They oh, raised their game. And, and, the, and the goal, when you're not able to, to get into the college and university that you want because of the poor education you're getting K through 12, is to improve the education you're getting K through 12. And that's why I support race. Uh, that's why I support school choice. That's the other big issue that, I, that I'm running on. 
just to pick one city, Baltimore, I'm not making this up, Rock. there are 13 public high schools in Baltimore, all located in the inner city, where zero percent of the kids can do math at grade level. Another half a dozen, only 1% can. That's half of all the public high schools in Baltimore, all located in the inner city, where either zero or only 1% of the kids can do math at grade level. Now, the Democratic Party, of course, is opposing, opposes school choice because the teachers' union opposes it, and they're the largest funder of the Democratic Party. Even as the party elites put their own kids in private school, whether it's Barack Obama or Gavin Newsom or Joe Biden, while denying urban parents the opportunity for the same thing, it is an outrage. And that's one of the other reasons I'm running for president. Yeah, well, that's that's wonderful. And I look. I mean, the left, the the left's approach to all this is keeping the status quo, and that that and that somehow doing the same thing over and over again will lead to a different result, which of course is the definition of insanity. But but it's interesting to me. Uh, you know, it, the liberals always proclaim themselves to be progressive and advancing, but in fact they're very conservative when it comes to policies that they know don't work. The more it doesn't work, the more they want it to continue. That's the bizarre thing about that. Where they're also uh, pretty conservative in their own lives. You, you don't think that Barack Obama sat around the table and told Michelle uh, and Sasha uh, that the man is oppressing them, uh, don't work as hard because you can benefit from race-based preferences, they tell them to work real hard, uh, stay focused. Uh, what does um, Kamala Harris say? She tells her kids, uh, we eat no for breakfast. So privately, they tell their kids to work hard. Right. Uh, invest in themselves, uh, but publicly they tell you you're a victim. And by the way, we wear the we wear the right white hat when it comes to social justice and equity. And these uh, SOBs Republicans over there, they wear the black hat. And as you're right, they're 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 doing the very things that are holding the very people they purport to care about down. And that's again one of the reasons I'm running. By the way, I wrote a book called As Goes California: My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation. As you can see, my goals are modest. And I talk about what one party rule has done to California. As you know, for the first time in our state's 170-year history, people are leaving. And the primary reason people are leaving is they can't afford the cost of a home. Yeah. The average price of a home in California is 175% above the national average. We have a huge crime problem. We have a huge homeless problem. Our schools are ranked near the bottom of all 50, and all because of these left-wing policies. I, I've, I've long opposed um, um, term limits. Uh, but now I'm in favor of term limits for voters. <laughs> After you voted uh, Democrat two or three times, maybe you ought to reconsider whether or not you should vote again. Oh, I'm, being, I'm, being, I'm being facetious, but uh, something needs to happen. At some point, uh, people need to realize that these policies uh, that people like Gavin Newsom and the whole Democrat cabal uh, have been pursuing, uh, this war against oil and gas, this war against job creators, uh, this war against people that... Uh, uh, commit the crime uh, as Asian Americans do of working hard and investing in themselves. This stuff has got to stop. And yeah. we need to make sure we don't export it to the other 49 states. That's why I wrote the book. Yeah, no, it's great. And by the way, I agree with you that as soon as you announced that you were going to be running for president or you told me privately that you're going to be doing so, I thought, you know what? He might be onto something here because uh, it is much more likely that he'll be able to win the presidency or gain a lot more traction than than he did in California, even though you did gain a lot of traction. Frankly, I think you won that recall election, but that's another story. Uh, but the, um, I mean, at least you have a shot with other these other conservative states. California, you have, it's it's purely a liberal state, so that's the that's the challenge there. Look, I want to move to one other very important topic, um, and that's a topic that I don't hear raised very much in the recent debate, uh, for which I think you were robbed uh, the right to be there. Um, the recent debate, they didn't spoke didn't speak whatsoever about the transgenderism issue, and, and that to me is such a shocking uh, thing because, look, transgenderism and what they're teaching in the schools is so dangerous, so destructive. Um, and in fact, uh, Youngkin won on this 
on this one issue, predominantly, at least on this one issue, and how the schools were, were taking away the authority and the autonomy of the parents uh, and deciding that they know better what's good for the kids other than the parents. So uh, speak to me, if you could, about the importance of the transgender issue and how you plan to, to address it when you're president. Well, again, this is a bully pulpit kind of issue because uh, education should be done state and local. In fact, we shouldn't even have a Department of Education. Ronald Reagan in 1980 ran to shut it down. And when he left uh, in 1988, uh, the department was bigger than it was when it first came in. I mean, it's, it's outrageous. I mean, not, none of this sexual stuff should be taught in, in schools in any way. Um, and uh, that's what parents are for. Uh, and uh, when you are uh, affirming uh, a child who says, I want to be called a she, 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 he, they, or whatever, and not informing the parent, you are robbing the parent of the parental responsibility. But uh, I want to talk real quickly, if we have time left, yeah, Brock, about the fact that I was not allowed on the debate stage. You know, I, I, I met all the benchmarks, 40,000 individual donors check, 200 had to come from 20 different states, check. I had to submit three polls where I was above 1% or so. Uh, check, check, check. Get a phone call from Ronnie McDaniel, the GOP chairwoman, uh, and uh, uh, David Bossy, the debates are. I'm sorry, you're disqualified. Why? One of the polls you chose, Rasmussen, uh, is affiliated with Trump. We're not going to use it. Well, assuming that's true, what does it have to do with me? Well, any campaign that has a poll that's affiliated with any other campaign can't be used. So we're not using Rasmussen. I said the same Rasmussen poll that you guys cite all the time on your website, the same one that was the most accurate in 2019, uh, 2016 and predicting that Donald Trump would win, that's right. After that, Rasmussen went on Twitter and said, Trump had nothing to do with our poll, did not commission it, is not affiliated with us. Elder had nothing to do with our poll, did not commission it, did not, is not affiliated with us, and he ought to be able to use the poll. Furthermore, I found out that Rasmussen can't contact at the RNC before they even conducted the poll to make sure they were following their guidelines. And it seems to me that if Rasmussen was unacceptable, the RNC could have and should have said something then. Yes. After this happened, I, I submitted another poll where I was above 1%, and they said, well, you submitted it too late. Well, that, polls, uh, conclude, that poll conducted its polling before the deadline, but it published its results after the deadline. So that one was not acceptable either. And not only was I not allowed to debate, I was not allowed in the debate venue, Barack. They put up a sign at security and said, don't let elders team come into the building. So now I guess I'm on the RNC terror watch list. And consider this, one of those up there gave a $20 gift certificate for a $1 donation. Another one gave a commission for people to go out and get other donors to whom they also gave further commissions. So if the idea was to make sure that the people up there were viable, uh, it seems to me that those kinds of practices uh, are, are, are if, if not illegal, are certainly corrupt. And that undermines the whole idea of making sure that the people up there have some sort of legitimate uh, uh, argument to make as to why they ought to be president. So for all those reasons, I have filed a complaint with the Federal Election Commission. My lawyer is a former chairman of the FEC, under, appointed under Ronald Reagan. And he argues by not applying their criteria fairly to everybody, including Elder, what the RNC did in effect, and what the Fox News did in effect, is give the seven or eight people that made it the eight people that made it an in-kind political contribution that could subject them to a fine of up to $100 million. So uh, we warned the RNC that I was going to file this complaint the day of the debate. If they didn't change their mind by 2 o'clock local time, they did not. Next day, we filed the complaint. So the complaint has now been filed. Unfortunately, my understanding will take years to, uh, to process. In the meantime, we have another debate coming up next month here in California, September 27th at the Ronald Reagan Library. And I've got to have 3%, not 1%.
and they have to have 50,000 individual donors, not 40,000. So I'm working very, very hard to do that, which is why I'm doing shows like yours and urging people to go to LarryElder.com, throw something in the tip jar, because I've now incurred an unexpected legal expense, and we need to move forward to get my polls up to 3% so I can qualify for that next debate. And if I do, Barack, it'll be the biggest comeback since George Foreman. <laughs> I like it. Yes, by, by all means, everyone, and I was going to ask you at the end of the show, where, where can we contribute? But there it is, LarryElder.com. And uh, it, it's going to be great. Uh, Larry needs to be on that stage. I, I, I got to tell you, I saw the debate and I was not impressed. I was uh, very disappointed by the topics that they did discuss right. and the topics that they didn't discuss. Uh, to me, the, everything about the children is so much more important than so many of the issues that they, that they purported, including Ukraine. Uh, one of the issues that they touched upon briefly, but not significantly, was Israel. Now, you hear uh, Vivek talking about how he wants to kind of limit funding for Israel. I don't know that he means funding necessarily, but a cooperation with Israel. That, that concerns me. What is your take on Israel? I, I, I think in his defense, what he's saying is we ought not be giving foreign aid to anybody. Uh, and uh, that's one argument. Uh, but And I don't believe we ought to be given foreign aid just to give it. I, I consider Israel's foreign aid to be an extension of our own national security. Right. Uh, they're the canary in the coal mine. They're up there in the front line uh, in this war against Islamo-fascism. So I uh, disagree with him about not giving uh, aid to uh, to Israel. I was happy when Donald Trump cut off the spigot for the Palestinian uh, because they were, they were engaging in terror. Uh, so uh, I, I disagree with him about that. The other issue uh, that was touched upon uh, was whether or not there were UFOs. I mean, really? I, out of all the things, all the things they're going to talk about, uh, whether or not they're UFOs, and I and I have a theory. One of the reasons they didn't want me up there, Barack, yeah. is that uh, they didn't want another sex symbol competing against Chris Christie. Now you can, <laughs> you can you can chew on that if you want, but that's just that's just my theory. I could be wrong about that. <laughs> Too many beautiful people up there. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's that's wonderful. Uh, look, uh, another major issue that I want to talk about is just about um, the the inflation and the economy. Of course, that that is huge, uh, and, and I don't want Biden to get away with it. Uh, this idea that somehow Bidenomics, as he wants to lovingly call it, and hopes he he grabs some attention with that name, uh, I, I think I think he thinks that Bidenomics has been wonderful. He's trying to proclaim it that way. He's trying to control the narrative. Uh, how do you respond to it? Uh, how are you going to deal with inflation um, and the spending issues? Well, one of the things that uh, I did not hear on Wednesday night uh, was a real plan to deal with this. Uh, on my website, I outlined my plan to push for an amendment to the Constitution to fix spending to a certain percentage of the GDP. Otherwise, both parties spend. The, the government got bigger under Ronald Reagan. It got bigger under George Herbert Walker Bush. It got bigger under W. It got bigger under Donald Trump largely because the so-called entitlements programs are on automatic pilot. Uh, even uh, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton used the word unsustainable to describe Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and now Obamacare and a bunch of other programs. They need to be reformed. They need to be reformed dramatically. But anybody who runs promising to reform any of these programs uh, will be maligned by the other side as not caring about the sick, the poor, the elderly. As a result, nobody runs on this. Nobody does anything about it. They kick the can. Uh, down the road. The only way to restrain spending is with a law that forces the politicians to dramatically reduce spending and to reform these programs so that they are there for the younger voters. And in my capacity as president, using the bully pulpit, I will make this argument. And it's not pie in the sky, Barack. The, the Constitution has been amended on average every 10 years since it was ratified. It can be amended if people understand it and if the president makes the case. And I'll make the case. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's really wonderful. And it needs to be done. 
Look, I, I two more questions for you, and then I'll, I'll let you go. I know you're a busy man. You've got a lot of campaigns at work to do. Uh, the first one is, look, there, there are many people on the stage. We know that Trump, for the time being, has a very high lead. That doesn't mean very much to me, by the way, because uh, you know people have uh, shown in the past that they, they've grown in numbers. Bill Clinton was one, for example. Um, even uh, John McCain and Obama himself, they, they all rose uh, very dramatically toward the last uh, half year of the election uh, of their cycle. So likewise, I think that's going to happen with you. However, um, you know, putting a, a Trump aside for the time being, I know that you support him, you like him, like a, his, a lot of his policies. You want to advance your own policies, which I fully support. I'm I'm with you 100%. Who among the other candidates, uh, not the non-Trump candidates, do you find that you resonate with the most? Well, let me just put it like this. Any of them would be better than what we have right now, with the possible exception of Chris Christie. Uh, outside of that, uh, the inflation, uh, the war on oil and gas, uh, the seven to eight million people who are in the country uh, illegally, uh, all the spending, uh, the student debt forgiveness. I can't think of a single thing that uh, that Biden has done that I support. Uh, this notion that we should be buying EVs on the dubious uh, proposition that they're better for the planet than gasoline-powered cars. Uh, all it does is make us more dependent upon China. China is the one supplying the so-called rare earth minerals that go into the uh, go into the batteries. Uh, we're using slave labor or child labor in places like Republic of the Congo to mine some of these rare earth minerals. So the human rights violations and the fact that fossil fuel uh, power is necessary to manufacture the EVs and to, and to distribute the EVs uh, is ignored uh, by the supporters of EVs. All, all that happens is the carbon footprint is transferred from here to somewhere else in the world. So on par, I don't believe that EVs are better for the planet uh, than gasoline-powered cars. Furthermore, they're more expensive. Uh, poorer people have to pay more for them. We have this policy out here in California, as you know. Gavin Newsom announced an edict that by the year 2035, no more sale of new gasoline-powered cars. Two days after that, he issued an energy uh, alert claiming, uh, advising those who own EVs, only 2.9%, by the way, of the vehicle owners in, in California are EV owners. Uh, he told them not to, not to power their cars up during peak hours because it would tax the energy grid. It's a, it's, and now he wants to build a car. I mean, it's insane, yeah. yeah. All right, so last uh, two qu question and a half, I should say. How, how do we teach parents? Because I, I see a, a burgeoning problem uh, with our younger generation, with the things that they're learning in school, particularly that they they should hate America, that, that America invented slavery, which is so bizarre to me. They have no idea about American history as well. How, how do, and then we talked about the transgender issue as well. How do we ensure that, uh, how can we help parents teach children against the woke culture? That's a very big topic of mine. I know it is for you. How, how would you do it? Well, the good news is that there are more resources now than ever before. Uh, there are books like yours. I wrote a book about my father called Dear Father, Dear Son, uh, Two Lives, Eight Hours. Fantastic. There's, there's One of the most influential books I read, by the way. Thank you. Please read it. Uh, everyone, please read that book. Okay. Yes, it's about the 10-year time uh, period of time my dad and I did not speak to each other. And I sat down with him when I was 25 years old. And by the end of the eight-hour conversation, uh, the man had gotten bigger and bigger, and Larry had gotten smaller and smaller. So it's called Dear Father, Dear Son, Two Lives, Eight Hours. There's also resources like, like Prager University. Uh, and Turning Point USA is a very active organization, uh, not just college campuses, but they're also now putting 
putting organizations in high schools as well. So the information is there. The parents just need to understand that you need to be on top of things. You need to be aggressively monitoring what your kids are ingesting, because if you don't take a proactive role, they're going to be indoctrinated because we have the media, we have academia, we have big tech. Uh, and we have Hollywood all working in alignment to argue that America is systemically racist, America is sexist, America is homophobic. Uh, they emphasize America's flaws uh, and not the hard struggle that America has uh, towards becoming a more perfect, perfect, perfect union. Uh, and we are, you know, there are people as we speak right now in Haiti, Barack, lining up for a shot at a lottery to get into America. Why? Because America is systemically racist, because it remains the land of the free and the home of the brave. Uh, it's a place where you can go from nothing to something uh, in one generation easier than any other country in all of human history. We ought to be celebrating this, and most kids uh, fail to appreciate that. Well, parents need to get informed. I think that's a very key issue. Uh, and, and the good news that you, you mentioned all these influences, school and the and social media and the media, generally speaking, entertainment, and otherwise music. But the good news is for parents is that you can you can get ahead of it much earlier than everyone else. You're the parent, and you can deal with it uh, when their kids are three years old, four years old. You can do it in age-appropriate levels, of course. But you know what? Kids love to love their country. Kids love to love God. Kids love to be a boy or a girl, as the case may be. Celebrate that. And then laugh at all the other people that would say otherwise. America is awesome. God is awesome. Being a boy is awesome. Being a girl is awesome. I think that's the key thing. And I thank you very much for bringing that up. And your book, by the way, uh, was so moving to me. I'm sorry that I interrupted you about this, but it was really, I, I would say, one of the top 10 books that influenced my life. It was about appreciation for dads, appreciation uh, for understanding your own limitations as a human being, not, not you, Larry Elder, but one's own uh, limitations. And, and that, that was a beautiful story. I was really, um, I was really touched. Um, but in any event, the last question I have for you, and this is something that I, I would always have loved to have seen by any um, moderator in a debate stage. Uh, and the question would be this, uh, especially among the Democrats, do you love America and why? Right? I, I would love to hear that question. And I, I wonder if that's... You're not going to hear it asked in any kind of Democrat debate. You're also, you're also not going to hear this. At what point do you feel a pregnancy has gone so far that to abort the unborn would constitute murder. You're not going to hear that. Uh, I've still I've looked it up a little while ago to find out when Gavin Newsom was asked about it, whatever he said about it. He never said a word about this. Uh, the only Democrat I know that really responded to this on point was during the 2020 debate when Bernie Sanders was asked this, and he said, and I quote, "It's up to the woman." Close quote. So in other words, that that uh, abortion doctor, Dr. Kermit Gosnell, Philadelphia, who's behind bars, should be set free because he is a uh, a political prisoner. He was performing late-term abortions at the uh, request of the of the females. Uh, he's now behind bars. So according to Bernie Sanders, he ought not be behind bars. Yeah. Democrats don't want to answer this question. They want to ask us when, when we when we believe life begins. They want to ask us at what point do we believe that there should be some laws. But they don't want to answer the question at what point do you believe pregnancy has gone to the point where uh, to terminate uh, that pregnancy would be murder. They don't want to answer that. Wow, what a fantastic question. It's just simply inverting the other question. That, that's great. 
Well, listen, Larry, I, I want to thank you so much for your time uh, and your patience with us. And it's really fantastic uh, to, to see you, the, the way you elevate in this candidacy. And I think it's, you're going to be you're going to go from strength to strength, as my people say. And it's, it's going to be uh, very exceptional. What do you expect is going to be uh, the, the turning point in the election? I mean, I know that's Trump and the indictments and such. And we, we both agree that these are sham indictments, of course. But uh, where do you think the movement is going to be? I mean, there's, it's been uh, it's going to be a year plus now until the election. Uh, is, is there going to be a fulcrum moment that you see coming ahead? This is the craziest election year I've ever seen. I thought 2016 was crazy. This right. is even crazier. Uh, the front runner has now been indicted four times. Every time he gets indicted, he gets more popular. Uh, he just raised a boatload of money, and they record money off of this uh, mugshot that he did. Uh, the other uh, opponent, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Biden, in my opinion, uh, is corrupt. Um, and certainly, uh, he should be facing impeachment charges. Uh, he clearly, in my opinion, is on the take. He's the big guy entitled to 10%. Uh, Hunter Biden complained he had to pay half his money to his dad. And yet half of the media, uh, well, most of the media could not care less. Half the country couldn't care less because they're unaware of it. I have no idea where things go. All I know is at some point, uh, Donald Trump will fade from the scene uh, and we'll still have a Republican Party that, that supposedly is a party of limited government, low taxes, pro-life, strong borders, and the party that believes in strength through uh, peace through strength, not strength through peace. And so those are still going to be Republican principles, and they're going to outlive any candidate. So that's no. what uh, that's what I expect to see going forward in America. Well, look, I, I'm only looking forward to the ascent of your candidacy, and uh, you're getting more and more traction throughout this uh, campaign. And I, I wish you Godspeed, God bless for for all the efforts and the fact that you are raising all these very critical issues, Larry. You are a, a true gem and a national treasure. We're, we're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for joining the Direct Larry Show. My pleasure. God bless. Right, take care.